Hebrews 11.8, that, that should be in your outline, says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out. He obeyed, not knowing where he was going. Now, I know some of you have been on trips, and you've been with other people driving, and you're not sure where you're going, but Abraham uh, just obeyed without knowing all the details. He, he obeyed purely because God said go, and, uh, but we see that in Abraham, if you Uh, as we'll look at tonight, and just, again, we're not going to look at all these scriptures in detail. We may just look at three or four just to make the application, but there are 12 testings in Abraham's life, but they kind of provide a nice little overview of some various highlights of of Abraham. And uh, and then next week, I want to kind of circle back and look at specifically chapter 15 about the Abrahamic covenant, because I think that's very significant, and want to take some time to just look at the Abrahamic covenant uh, next Wednesday, Lord willing. So um, uh, James, if you know, James says uh, in James 1, you know the scripture, says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or testings, knowing that the testing of your what? It's not your love, it's not your Bible knowledge, it's the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance or long-suffering. And it says, let, have, let patience have its perfect work. So the testing of your faith, you know, when you were in school and you took tests, it really was to reveal of what you've learned or what you've not learned. Um, if you test, um, you know, if they build a bridge before they ever put human beings going across that bridge. They test the integrity of the structure, the steel, because the testing is intended to reveal defects. The the testing is to reveal flaws, is to reveal something. So testing is is an opportunity to reveal uh, truth been applied to our life and how much, you know, we can say you know, we have faith in God, and we believe in God, and we're trusting God, et cetera, et cetera. But it's only when we are tested in those moments that what's really, what's really going on in here, or what is deep down in here uh, of what we believe uh, comes to surface or reveals that maybe, maybe, uh, maybe our faith is not as strong as we think. But God's intent is always to produce perseverance, uh, produce faith in our life, trusting God as uh, his purpose. So I want to look at these 12 testings, if you will, in Abraham's life, 12 specific times. And one thing we see about Abraham, as we see about any Bible character, uh, is not outside of Jesus, obviously, but none of them lived a straight line. You know what I mean by that? I mean, they all had twists and turns and ups and downs, kind of like you and me, right? And I always say that if I was writing my own Bible and I was going to establish my own religion, I would make sure all the characters in there were perfect and flawless, you know? But God doesn't do that, does He? He puts all the warts and everything in there. But what you see in people's lives, the ones that, especially when you look at a chapter 11 of Hebrews, is you see all of them, in spite of their flaws, all of them uh, are recipients of God's mercy, His grace, 
And uh, in spite of all the shortcomings, it's by grace that we are saved through faith, through trust in Him alone. Not that we, only thing, you know, that we bring to the table is our sin to receive God's grace. And so we see that time and time again. You know, from Adam on forward, we see God's mercy and grace. And certainly we see it here in Abraham. All right, let's look at some of these. Um, and uh, Lord willing, we'll uh, get through them all. Like I said, we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time in detail and you'll, you'll need your Bibles. They're not on the screen. So I hope you uh, use your Bible, tablet, phone, whatever it is um, that, you, that you will find helpful. If you need a Bible, there are those in the back that we have. So make use of the word of the Lord. Number one, the first test is in Genesis chapter 12. And this is when the call of Abram. I have Abraham, but the call of Abram. And so chapter 12 Verse 1, I'm just going to read the first uh, four verses. Now, the Lord said to Abram, uh, Get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land. Let me just make a note here, and something we'll circle back to next week when we talk about the covenant, is anytime in these scriptures you see mention of land, uh, make a note of it, circle it. I tried to circle every time because the land issue is a big, is a big deal, and that's important. He says, I will, uh, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, verse 4 departed as the Lord, and you see Lord capitalized there, uh, Yahweh had spoken to him, and Lot, that was his nephews, we'll uh, discover later, uh, was with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Well, I'm 61, and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I'm not interested in moving anywhere. My stomach gets in knots when I see a U-Haul. I mean, I, I, I've been there, done that. And to be 75... And it wasn't like, here's where we're going, and here's the pictures, here's the, the parks and the recreation, and here's the pool. No, he, he's, this is pure faith. And the thing is, God, there's no indication that there's anything. I mean, we come off of chapter 11 with his father, Terah, um, uh, mentioned, and, uh, and we see that in God's sovereign, uh, the Bible uses the word election, electing grace, there is nothing that we see from any evidence that there was anything that Abram did to earn or deserve God's favor of grace. It was pure, purely God chose Abram. Why didn't he choose Terah? Why didn't he choose uh, his brother or sister? Why didn't he choose anybody? They weren't the only ones living in the nation of Ur, of the Chaldeans, in the land of Canaan. Um, but God sovereignly chose Abram. I may say Abraham or Abram, but Abram. And he says in verse 7 that the Lord appeared to Abram and said to you, to your descendants, I will give this land. Again, there's the land. And Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so the test was obeying God's call. God said, leave. And uh, Hebrews 11.8, the verse that we read, he obeyed and he was went out, and he didn't know where he was going. Now, Sherry says, I don't know where I'm going half the time, but that's not the same thing. He, he, was, he, was, he was going purely on God's call. 
Okay, We talk about Abraham being a man of faith. Well, that's where it starts. It just starts with obeying. And so the application as we walk through each of these is really, do I trust God with my future? You know, all of us would like to know what the future is. Maybe. Sometimes I think maybe I'd, I'd rather not. Uh, but how, let me ask you, and you can give me a little feedback tonight. I'm going to, usually I do all the talking, so I'm going to ask you some, help me with some of these. How do we demonstrate trust in God regarding our future? And that could be decisions about buying a house, a, a family, uh, moving somewhere, whatever it is. Uh, uh, how do we demonstrate trust in God? Give me something maybe practical that you find that's helpful for you uh, regarding how you demonstrate trust in God concerning your life and your future. Yeah, we said a key phrase based on past history. You know, we sing great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. That's that's history. When the children of Israel crossed, you know, the Red Sea and they crossed over, what did they what were you know, when they or not the, or the Jordan, rather, uh, what were what was the word of the Lord that was uh, told through Joshua for them to do? Huh? Let's talk. Well, yeah, but what, once they got over and they were on the land, Joshua, the word of the Lord told them to do something. But do what? Well, you're getting ahead, but I'm just saying one of the first things right over, they told them to take stones, stones of remembrance. And it was the word of the Lord said that when your children, the generations ask, what do these mean? What were they saying? They were reminders, they were symbols, if you will, of God's faithfulness, of history there. Um, and so, um, but maybe what, what would be a way that if you, were, if you were seeking the Lord's will concerning a future decision, something, what might be some means that you might use to demonstrate your trust uh, in God directing you? But again, that isn't just kind of just... Well, I don't want to answer my own question, but what might be some things that you might biblically do to, to, to not only demonstrate your dependency on uh, trusting in Him, but also to receive direction? Prayer? All right, what else? The Word, counsel, right? All those things that God has said. Ed, did you have any one of those? Yeah. 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 Peace is a uh, you know talk about the peace of that guards your rules over your heart. You know, peace is a wonderful indicator 
Because, you know, when you when you have peace about a decision, uh, you can kind of rest, even though it may not be real logical, you have a peace. And then sometimes the things that seem real logical decisions like this makes sense. And you just like, I don't know. I don't know. Why am I just why am I still worried? About, why am I still rap, worried about that thing? Why am I? There's no peace there. And now a lot of times, what do we do? We just go into fifth and just barrel down and say, well, <laughs> and then we find out that maybe the Holy Spirit was trying to get our attention there. So again, Abraham demonstrated trust and obeyed God, even though he didn't have all the details. We like details, don't we? We like details. Um, and uh, for Abraham to just, for him to respond, set the tone of his life of being an obedient a man of faith. Look at the next uh, test here, and that's Genesis 13. Genesis 13, and uh, we see Abraham uh, already. Uh, there is, Abraham uh, is directed to uh, make peace or have a peaceful separation from Lot. Lot is his nephew. Look down at verse 8. So Abram um, said, let me just kind of go back up a little bit, sorry. Um, verse 1, then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and Lot with him to the south. Now let me just say there, and I don't want to read too much into this, but go back over to, keep, just keep a little finger there on 13.1 and go back over to 12. What is something the Lord specifically said in 12.1 that seems, seems that Abraham didn't quite totally obey? And instead, uh, we see that some of them went with him, didn't they? And Lot, his brother's son, um, Abraham... Um, uh, and uh, that was Terah's grandson Lot, uh, his nephew, Abram's uh, nephew. And so it says that Abraham was very rich, verse 2. Uh, verse 5, uh, it says, Lot also who went with Abram, he himself had flocks and herds. And it says, verse 6, that the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Boy, we could talk about family <laughs> situations where there's just too many in the house, right? We won't get into that, all right? We can, I'm sure I can tell in the look of some of y'all's eyes, we could have lots of application. But there was immediate strife, immediate strife. And how Abram responded uh, shows, remember, Abram, is walking on the word and the promise of God. It isn't complete detail. God gave him a lot of information, but as far as the particulars, but look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. And basically he says to Lot, you have first choice. You look out and you choose for yourself. And the Bible says in verse 11, that Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And so the Lord, uh, again, gave land promises. Verse 15, uh, the Lord says, For all the land that you see to Abram, I uh, will give you and your descendants forever. But what do we note there about Abram here is that he sought... He Again, I think when you're 
at a place of peace and security with who you are in the Lord. And you're at a place of peace and security with God's word over your life, if I can say it that way. Uh, you're, you're in a position that you can be magnanimous, generous, because you know that God is your provider. You see, a stingy person, an insecure person, how, would, how might they would handle that the opposite of Abraham? Hey, listen, pal, you wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't even have what you have. I mean, you, you know, like, like how dare you interfere with my business, my income? You take you and your cows and, you know, whatever. I mean, he didn't do that. And yet he could have, couldn't he? I mean, he had the authority. He had the right. He was the senior partner in that family. Not only that, I mean, he had a promise given to him by God. But we see something in his character, and again, I believe it goes back to a demonstration of the application there for us, is do I trust God with my interests even when I seem to be receiving an unfair settlement? Even when it seems that I'm getting the short end of the stick. Now, what are we, what are we prone to do? Again, I, like, Abram, like we fictionalize Abram's not the way he didn't react. How often are, are and what, 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 how do we respond usually when we feel we're being treated unfair in some manner or we're getting the short of the stick or Somebody might be taking advantage of it. What is just our normal, don't get too spiritual on me, but just what is our, what is our reaction? We get annoyed. That usually starts there. And then what? Angry. There you go. Now you're getting into it, right? Angry. What else? Huh? Want to challenge them, right? I mean, you can just go on and on, right? And, it, and we can, huh? Unfair, right, and all that. But again, and you know what? I, we'll look about. We'll look at this maybe in a few weeks. But there's, you know, if you know the life of Jacob, and how Laban, his uncle, took unfair advantage of him, kept stringing him along. Uh, there's a uh, uh, there's a scripture in the middle of that dialogue. I don't have the reference on the top of my head, but it's just a little phrase. I remember one time in just my reading, and it was like just. You ever have a verse of scripture or a few words jump out from a verse and just grab you by the shirt and slap you around and get your attention? And it says, the Lord said, I know what Laban has been doing to you. Now, let me tell you why that brought comfort to me. Because sometimes we think, God, are you, are you, hello, you, are you paying attention down here? Do you know what's going on? Hey, hello, remember me? And he says, but, you know, to paraphrase, you know what his word to Jacob was? You just keep trusting me. And here's the thing that I wish I'd learned at 21, not 61. Don't take matters into your own hands. Every time I have, even pastorally, when I've just run like a bull in a china closet, it's usually never a good thing. And... Uh, Number three, Genesis 14. Uh, here again, Mr. Lot, 
He's the gift that keeps on giving. Genesis 14. Uh, basically, what happens, verse 12, is there's these five kings. And you can read about them. One was the king over Sodom and um, other nations there in verse uh, uh, 1 and 2. And then according to verse 12, it says that there was this war and these five kings and they took Lot hostage. doesn't say hostage, but they took him captive. Now, I don't know if they thought maybe for some ransom or whatever, uh, but this is what's interesting, you know, that Abraham, the Bible reminds us back in that earlier chapter about in 13.2 that Abraham was very rich. You know, you can be rich and then you can be very rich. Well, it says Abraham, 13.2, was very rich in silver and gold, and he apparently uh, had his own private army. Verse 14, now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit. It says he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants attacked them. I mean, Abram has a little knowledge of some military strategy here. Um, And then he... Uh, it says that, verse 16, he brought back all the goods and brought back his brother Lot. Now, I don't know about you, but I just always want to ask Abraham one day, say, hey, when you were out there doing all that, you got, did you ever just, just for a minute, just seconds, did you ever think about just kind of saying, let's just leave Lot with them, you know? I mean, I'm sure he did. He was a godly man. But here's the thing, the principal application of number three, does my faithfulness to others bear witness to my trust in God's faithfulness. And this goes back to a sense of generosity to others who have need. Sometimes, you know, it's just our, you know, we think, well, I can't give that because I have my own, what? I have my own needs, you know? I got to pay my own bills. I don't, I don't have that even, you know, and so our generosity often reflects my own sense of trust in God. And that God, who is well able to meet all my needs, has also enabled me to be generous and hospitable. And by that generosity, even if at times it seems it may be sacrificial, it's a demonstration of my trust in God's faithfulness. That he has provided and he will provide even in my uh, giving, even if it creates my own need. Number four, Genesis 14, 17 through 24, uh, we have an interesting, and, and there's a lot we could mine here about this Melchizedek. We talked about Melchizedek a little bit when we were going through the book of Hebrews, and won't, won't do that now. But what we have here is we have Abram, or Abraham, uh, giving a tithe, if you will, to Melchizedek. Now, keep in mind a couple of things. This is not a tithe that was later codified by the Mosaic Law because the Mosaic Law had not come yet. All this is was that he took a portion of his wealth and brought it to Melchizedek as a tribute, as an honor. There's nothing to connect. This is just my two cents. It's not based upon the law because the Mosaic Law hadn't come yet. So it wasn't, it wasn't that. 
It was just an example and, and in one sense a principle of the tithe and even now under the new covenant generosity that when we give or we give unto the Lord is an expression of giving that unto the Lord a portion of what he has given. You know, you've heard me use the illustration uh, you know, if, when I, the boys, my boys were little and we'd be sitting there having French fries and they'd have their happy meal and I'd say, hey, can dad have some of your fries? And if they said no, I had to remind them that technically those aren't their fries. I bought them. I could eat the meal, take the toy. I could, you know, it, legally, I was saying, will you give me a portion of your, your fries? So again, the, it, was a, it was an example of, look, everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. This goes back to our generosity. Everything belongs to the Lord. But he honored Melchizedek. And so again, the uh, principal application is that in my, am I watchful in my dealings with people that I give proper honor to God and refuse to receive honor that belongs to him? By Abraham, he was a man of wealth. He's a man of prestige. The man's got a private army. The man has, um, has some status, I guess, if you wouldn't say it this way, that he has conquered not one, but he's overtaken how many, you know, several kings. So the man is a man of notoriety in his generation, and yet he's humble enough to give honor to someone over him of superiority. Now, many people believe, and, and again, there's... But many believe that this Melchizedek um, was a type, T-Y-P-E, or a personage, if you will, of the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, and, uh, but again, there's a little speculation in there. But we see the priesthood of Melchizedek spoken of later in uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 7 about the priesthood uh, of the higher order above the Aaronic priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood. And we won't get into that. But I just want you to know that Abraham, you see, before a person can be somebody who is in authority, they, know, they need to know the principle of walking under authority. Now, we have some military men, but would you, would you agree with that? That the ones that haven't learned how to walk under authority usually never become a person of authority. I know there's a few that slip through the cracks. But, but, you know, everybody wants to be in charge, right? And sometimes, you know, at church, you got a lot of chiefs, you know, you need, you need some servants, right? You need some, you need some uh, and you got everybody that likes to be in charge. And I found that the leaders who are the most ineffective in leadership are the ones who who want to be in a place of prominence or authority, thankfully that's not true here, but who want to be in a prominence or authority, but they themselves never want to uh, be under or be led by somebody in authority or take directive. Um, I'm always suspicious of putting, you know, there's people that the only time they want to do something is when they, when they are the ringleader or they're the one who's the director. But when it comes time for them to be a part of another group and be a cheerleader, they can't do that. They, they, they only seem to want to get excited and get involved when they can lead the group or they can be in charge. And then if you just ask them to be a support, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be busy that night. I can't do that. 
They're not interested. See, so be a servant, you know, and there's a biblical principle that God is the one that promotes, if you will, say it that way. Uh, anybody want to speak anything to that or disagree with that? You can disagree. <laughs> Brother, your giftings, that's too bad. You, you, your gifts go before you, as they say. Uh, but, you know, uh, Abram demonstrated, I think, that humility uh, by being one. He could receive honor because he was well able to give honor. Okay, you with me? All right, number six. And we're going to spend a little more time with this next week because it's an important part of the trajectory of Scripture as the covenant of Abraham. But we see that in chapter 15 that God, God, God made covenant with Abram. And uh, in the consequence, it says, verse 6, uh, he promised him, verse 4, uh, that one shall... Um, uh, and the word of the Lord came to him saying, well, actually, I'm, let me skip around, sorry. Um, he's childless. You know, sometimes we give God information like he doesn't know. Verse 2, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? Like, oh, the Lord's just like, oh, I didn't know that. You mean you're childless? And Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and that uh, was, uh, he thought, uh, since he didn't have a child, Eliezer of Damascus, uh, who was uh, in his house, was a servant, maybe that would be his heir, since he didn't have a natural uh, child, um, and the Lord made that promise, and of course, in that promise, we won't, again, get into it, but notice verse 7, we see the, the land promise there again. Uh, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, all right? Uh, so again, we see that reiterated several times, and that's, I think, important. Um, and so we'll, we'll leave the details of that covenantal. But, but remember that Abraham was walking and functioning based upon the covenantal promise of God. Well, we have, we have covenantal promise of God. We have a covenant. We walk under the new covenant. Uh, we walk under even greater, more precious promises. But Abram uh, responded and acted according to, you, uh, the, we might say, the word of God, the promises of God. Uh, and, um, and that was a test. Would he believe God? Uh, number six, also in chapter 15, uh, was the promise of land. Uh, that would not be fulfilled. Uh, verse, uh, I think I already read that, verse 7 through 11. And so notice that God made a promise of that he would give him the land. He would multiply his generations. But the giving of the land wasn't going to happen for a while. I mean, it didn't, it didn't fully come to pass until Joshua crossed over, and, and uh, even Moses wasn't allowed to, you know, to uh, partake of that, God's judgment on Moses. So oftentimes we, we pray and, and believe God for a certain thing in our lives, a certain good thing, and we have a sense of God's uh, fulfillment of that, but sometimes we don't always see, we don't see it in our lifetime, the fulfillment 
of that promise. Uh, and I know that may be a little vague. Let's say you're praying for the conversion of a, of a loved one, of a family member. And we just have the assurance of knowing that God is, has given me that assurance. Well, I may not see it in my lifetime, but I die with that assurance of that promise. That could be one thing. Any other examples where there may be, you have the assurance, but there's delay before the fulfillment? Remember Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 31, those that wait on the Lord, that's something we don't, uh, shall renew their strength. It should be, you know, uh, those that wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed, be like eagles. Uh, we don't like waiting. We don't like delay. We, we sense God's going to answer this prayer. You know, God's going to give somebody a, a spouse or God's going to give a new job, whatever, and it doesn't happen in the next three or four days. And what are we doing? We're saying, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? We don't like delay. We don't like waiting. You ever had to you ever had to wait on something you knew that God had answered, but you had to wait on it? Huh? Yeah, people's health. That's an excellent point. I'm going to repeat, paraphrase what you said, talking about her, husband's, her husband who's with the Lord. They prayed for his healing and believed God for the healing. And yet uh, God did ultimately heal him. God took him uh, and he is totally, completely healed. And often our sense of how God is going to do something may not be the same as what God actually does. You know, because we have a sense of here's how I see this happening. There's been many scenarios I think, well, this situation is, oh, wow, this is perfect. This is God's will. And it all, nothing happened. Nothing happened. It didn't, nothing happen the way I thought it did. And I tell you, you just, you're like, okay, maybe I need to quit being so presumptuous and thinking every little thing, okay, God, okay, I see how you're going to do this. And God's like, hey, don't presume on me. God, you ever realize that God sometimes likes surprises? I'm not talking about in your husband's case because that was a fulfillment of a promise. Sure. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 
Yeah, you know, the Bible says that, you know, we do not grieve as the world grieves, you know, and, and that's, that's, a, that's probably one of the more ultimate examples of having to trust God because so many times, um, you know, when a loved one's life is, uh, in our eyes, taken prematurely, we do, uh, you know, I mean, with a, you know, with a child or something that just doesn't seem, uh, we do, you know, I'm thinking of uh, on the 29th, Justin Hewitt's. Uh, birthday, Marbury's son, who, um, boy, has it been four years, three years? I've got the date, but I know his birthday is on May 29, and uh, 19 years old, student at USF, and came home for Thanksgiving and wasn't feeling well, and that was during the whole COVID thing, and took him to Lakeland Regional, and they began to do some tests, and his body reacted one way, and by midnight, their 19-year-old son is, is with the Lord. Um, number seven. The Lord uh, gave the commandment in chapter 17, the sign of the covenant of circumcision. If you know anything about the history of Israel, this is no minor thing. In verses 1 through 7, and Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. I love that. Saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Um, And God said, verse 9, uh, and you shall keep my covenant, your descendants. Uh, and then verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. And here is, he says, every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised. Remember the man's 99 guys. Uh, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Uh, every male child in your generations, he was born in your house and bought with money from any stranger who was not your descendant. He who was born in your house, in other words, everybody, no exceptions. And then it says, verse 17, Abraham fell on it. Well, uh, let me skip there. He's talking about Ishmael. Um, again, he talked about a promise. He reminded him about the promise, but um, Abraham uh, obeyed the word of the Lord Um, Verse 23, uh, Abraham took Ishmael, his son. Remember, that was the offspring, the child from Hagar, where Abraham Abraham thought he would kind of help God along a little bit. He waited and waited and waited. And so you have an Ishmael. And all who took Ishmael and all who were born in his house and circumcised. And Abraham... Uh, 24, was 99 years old when he was circumcised. No small thing, is it? I mean, we kind of, you know, 
But I mean, that was no small thing. But Abram, Abraham demonstrated his own obedience. God said to do this. And so the principle there is, uh, is that uh, in what occasions in my life have I acted simply in obedience and not because I totally understood why God was telling me to do something. I just did it, you know, I responded in obedience, not because I'm like, okay, God, I hear what you're saying, but I need a little more, you know, can you explain why this? I mean, why circumcision? Why can't we get a tattoo? Hey, that sounds like a better deal than that option, right? And all the men said, amen. Why can we get a tattoo? Why do we have to do? Again, God, you know, principle. And again, there's, I'll let you research the significance of circumcision uh, on your own. But that was the sign. And that was a big, big deal. That was a big deal for every male. And it was perpetuity or held in perpetual obedience. All right. Uh, number eight, Genesis 18. Um, this is when the. Lord, it says, verse 18, verse 1, notice it says, the Lord appeared to him. Remember, capitalized, Yahweh appeared to him by the terebinth trees. Remember that we talked about the significance of God meeting and the presence of God uh, and trees being connected to that. Um, and, and it's interesting to look up the terebinth tree and see the significance of that tree. But um, but anyway, not to get off on that, as he was sitting by the tent door, then it says, verse 2, what appears to be these angelic uh, men, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Um, you know, we can't read in, but obviously there was some, some expression or knowledge that these men were sent from the Lord. And of course, they, one of the principles that we see here is that Abraham responded in hospitality. He welcomed strangers. You know, the Bible speaks about entertaining uh, angels unaware. Um, the Bible does speak about hospitality. Titus 1.8, it's a requirement for somebody who wants to be an elder. Are they hospitable? Are they welcoming to strangers? Do they have a welcoming Spirit are they are they somebody who is um, hospitable? First uh, Peter four nine tells us to love one another and be hospitable to everyone. Meaning uh, that if I, there's a need that you have, or even just welcoming. I mean, eating dinner was way more than the way we do it in our culture today. You know, we eat we eat up, and it's too many times uh, we're eating in a rush. I mean, a lot in our generation we don't sit around a table. We're usually eating dinner in front of what? The TV, right? Um, and so again, the, the meal in Eastern culture is so significant of the meal gathering and the welcoming of strangers into that, that, um, that setting of our home. Uh, number nine, another test is Abraham prayed for Sodom. Uh, in verse 22 of that chapter here, a lot of things in Abraham's life that he prayed God revealed to him about the uh, destruction of the wickedness of Sodom. And he says in verse uh, 22, then the men or the angel of the Lord, those angels spoke of him uh, or spoke to him, revealed the will of the Lord 
uh, verse 20, that because of the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, their sin is very grievous. And then it says, verse 22, then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord and Abraham came near and said, and of course he goes back, would you destroy for 50? And it goes back and forth. Uh, and, uh, but notice what Abraham is doing for this, these wicked people. He is interceding. He's praying for God to be merciful to them. Notice we don't see Abraham cheering and saying, God, yeah, get him. No, we see, we see in Abraham, we see a heart of compassion. You know who I was thinking of is I was thinking about Jonah uh, going to Nineveh. And when Jonah, of course, you know the, the, the story of uh, God getting his attention and swallowing by the great fish. And, and then he went to Nineveh and preached. And what happened? Not only did the king of Nineveh, but there was this great revival. And the Lord had mercy upon that city. And if you read in, um, uh, I think, chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah says, I knew this would happen. I knew that if, we, if I preached to them, that in essence, they would all get converted. I knew. And I can't stand these people. Now, Ninevites in that culture were kind of like Nazis on steroids. They were a wicked, evil people. So Jonah, in a human sense, was very justified in his emotions. But I think it reminds us of God's generous heart to the lost. Abraham his first instinct wasn't to jump up and down and cheer. He knew all about what was going on there, but he interceded for them. Sometimes the Lord may cause us to intercede for people that we say don't deserve it. Well, guess what? Guess what? You didn't deserve it. Right? Look at number 10, Genesis 20. This is, remember when he went to the king in Abimelech? There in chapter 20, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and journeyed to Gerar. Now, Abram said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Uh, later on, Abimelech, interestingly, the Lord reveals to Abimelech in a dream that he's got a man's wife. And Abimelech... Uh, Essentially says, you know, I didn't know. He told me it was his sister. And God said, verse 6, to Abimelech in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you uh, from you sinning against me. Here's a, what we would say an unbelieving king. And yet it seems as that Abraham lied. He did it, uh, and Isaac did it too. He lied because he feared that if he told him that it was his wife, that somehow that he would figure out a way to kill Abraham and take his wife. So he told him it was his sister, thinking his life would be more uh, secure. But what's the problem? He was, he was scheming his own, instead of trusting in the Lord. Now, it wasn't like Abraham didn't have a lot of history of trusting the Lord. There's a lot that's already gone on in Abraham's life. Covenant-making. God talking to him. I mean, and yet, what does he do? Again, he, again, his life is in a straight line, but he lies. And I think what's interesting is the Lord said to this unbelieving king, 
you did this in the integrity of your heart. I know that you didn't act with malice by taking his wife. Isn't it kind of a bit of a rebuke that the Lord here, that here we have an unbelieving king, that he says you acted with integrity, and the implication is here's my man, my covenant man, who did not act with integrity. When I sin, number 10 is, when I sin, is my tendency to cover up or confess? Do I practice truth that an apology must sometimes be accompanied by restitution? And we see that Abimelech was generous to Abraham, even though Abram, Abraham played him. Number 11, two more, Genesis 21. And here again, we find Abraham with some men from uh, uh, King Abimelech. And in verse 25, there is a dispute over a well of water. Now, a well of water was like a pot of gold in that culture. Still is today in many countries. Uh, verse 22, and it came to pass that uh, time that Abimelech and Philcol. The commander of his army spoke to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Um, and then go on down uh, to verse uh, 25. Then Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I don't know who did this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard it of it until today. You ever kind of maybe think that Abimelech wasn't sure if this, if this Abraham can be really rely, you know, he doesn't know if he's playing him or not. But notice what Abraham does. He took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. What is he doing? Abraham, and this is a good thing, Abraham, in order to be the peacemaker, to keep peace and perhaps even rectify an already damaged reputation, uh, Abraham uh, did more than just gave words or promises, but he did something tangible to demonstrate uh, himself in integrity to a man that he had lied to and who almost himself came under judgment of God for taking uh, his wife. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, I had to write this down, Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. I like that as much as it depends upon you, well, you don't know. It doesn't matter. As much as it depends on you. Yeah, but you know what? The, it doesn't matter. If it depends on you, be a peacemaker. You see, because that creates the environment for God to work. But when you're stirring and causing strife, guess what? You're just making things more complicated. As much as it depends upon you, if there's something you can do, hold your tongue, bless, even when they don't deserve it, if there's something you can do, to be magnanimous, to be generous, to be godly, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. And if it's, not, if it's something out of your hands, well, then you, it's out of your hands. But if it's something that you can do, if it's some, some move or some action that will keep the peace, I found that sometimes, and I'm learning, sometimes keeping the peace is just holding your peace. I was in a conversation not too long back, and I wanted to go for the vein in this, in this discussion. 
I wanted to bring something up that was just going to drive a point home. And the Lord kept saying, shut up. Don't do it. And I didn't do it. <laughs> That's just flesh. It's not godliness. Don't. And, you know, sometimes we just feel like, because we, we want to feel justified, don't we? We want to, uh, look, I know things are right, but I just want you to know. We always say, I just want you to know where I'm coming from. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. Be at peace. Keep the peace. Walk away. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat, but be at peace. And if it's depending on you to keep your mouth shut, look, we're not gonna, you know, it's amazing when somebody passes away, the most insignificant stuff on grandma's shelf, all of a sudden people will get in a fight over this coffee cup. Over the most insignificant stuff that was junk the week before, now becomes battle lines over stuff. You want, you want grandma's coffee cup? Here. You take it. Because it depends on you. Keep the peace. Well, they don't deserve it. Yeah, they don't deserve it. But if it depends on you, be generous. Because guess what? God can bless people like that. Right? God can bless you. The reason Abraham could demonstrate generosity is because he knew the promise of God. He knew who he was in God. He, had wa he was walking in that security. The last is the ultimate test in chapter 22. And that was when God told him to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice his son. And he almost did, but the angel of the Lord intervened. And he says in verse 12, or verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, the angel of the Lord, uh, probably your Bible, you see it capitalized, angel, A, capitalized, L-O-R-D. Uh, again, many would interpret that as a pre-incarnate um, uh, theophany, a technical term uh, uh, of Christ. Not just an angel, but the angel of the Lord is the very Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. Um, says, now I know, middle of verse 12, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And I think, again, Abraham demonstrated that he wouldn't allow anything, anything, even the son of the promise, his most precious son, uh, to come between him and the Lord. So, whew, I don't know if I would have made one of those tests, right? But he went through 12 of them. So when you see in Hebrews 11.8 that he is called, what, are we, what, are, what are Hebrews 11.8 said, by faith Abraham obeyed. He was a man of faith. Well, the testing of your faith, he was tested. Those are just the ones that we know about. Um, so next week, we're going to look at chapter 15, because that's significant, Abraham. And then we'll take some bigger leaps and then uh, have a couple weeks or a week or so with Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that'll round out the book of Genesis. And All right, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we oftentimes aren't called to do the kind of testings. Um, and Abraham uh, had... A great promise of your literal presence and your word. 
But how much more under the new covenant of Christ do we have the precious promises of you and the ultimate sign and token of your established covenant by the blood of Christ. But uh, Lord, we know that regardless of our own situation, that there will be testings and those testings aren't to defeat us. They're only to reveal God and pull out of us, God, a greater dependency and a greater test, a greater reliance rather of our faith and our confidence in you. So we thank you for Father Abraham. But Lord, Father Abraham looked forward, looked ahead to the promise that uh, God, that you would give uh, through his seed, ultimately the seed that was promised in Genesis 3.15. Lord, coming now, developing a pattern, a paradigm is coming into shape in the book of Genesis through now one man, and through that one man, a, a, a family, and through that family, a nation, and through ultimately through a nation and a people that you would bring forth and fulfill what you said in Genesis 3.15 to bring forth the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. So thank you, God, for your word tonight, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.